Welcome, 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 world changers and brothers and sisters in the Lord. Welcome, welcome. As always, good to see you guys. I am really excited for tonight because tonight we're going to be doing a, um, uh, let me just turn this thing down here a little bit. Uh, that's it. Yeah, turn it down a little bit. Tonight we're going to be doing the rest of the book of Leviticus. And we are going to be talking about uh, various different laws, including the uh, the feasts of the Lord. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the feasts of the Lord tonight, and uh, and a number of other very interesting things. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. In the chat, we have Kalamentos. It says Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Kalamentos. Mark says Shalom. Shalom, Mark. 1 John 2.26 says, Shalom, Shalom. Welcome. KMJJ says, Shalom, all many blessings. Many blessings multiplied back to you as well. Angry Mouthy Freak on D, um, D Live says, Cool. Good to see you. Welcome. And Psalm 94 on YouTube says, Good evening and Shalom, everyone. Good evening. Welcome. Trish says shalom 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 good to see you guys welcome as always yes so uh it's going to be an awesome night we're going to be reading leviticus chapters 22 all the way through to the end of the the um the book of leviticus covering many different things um not the least of which is are i should say the feasts of the lord yeah so let's get right into it this is leviticus chapter 22 and we got, uh, just before we do that, Born to Dalet says, Shalom. Shalom. Good to see you. Welcome. Leviticus chapter 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses. And by the way, for those of you who are not familiar with this, whenever you see capital L, capital R, O, capital R, capital D, in most of these translations, this is actually... Um, uh, a replacement for the Hebrew name of God, which you will see in the Safaria, which is this right here. We have the Yod He Wow He or Yod He Vav He. Um, the more modern Hebrew, it has the Vav in there, whereas the more ancient Hebrew, uh, it, there are no V or the V sound is not there. It's, it's rather, it's like a W sound. Wow. Instead of Vav, it's Wow. Okay, so. And the Lord, or yod Hey wow Hey spoke to Moses. By the way, yod Hey wow Hey is almost like an acronym, uh, which means who, who is, who was, and who is to come. Okay? That name, the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter um, Hebrew name of God, is a name that means that he is... Basically, out, he is the eternal one, the eternal one who is, who was, and is to come. Basically, as it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's the only one, the only God. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me so that they do not profane my holy name. I am yod heh wow -He, the Lord. Say to them, 
if any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Now, let me just stop here for a second. So somebody might say, well, what is it, what is it talking about the holy things, the holy things? Why, why do we have these kind of commands? Well, let's go on over to Safaria and see what it says here. Uh, Safaria, for those of you who are not familiar with this, safaria.org is a Jewish website, and they have a Jewish, uh, actually several different Jewish interpretations um, so it's very interesting to kind of cover all bases and see what the other interpretation says. Okay, so this interpretation is called the Contemporary Torah JPS from 2006. So again, we got Yod He Wow He spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, These are my fixed times, the fixed times of Yod He Wow He, which you shall proclaim as sacred occasions. Oh, excuse me. You know what? I'm reading the wrong. I'm reading the wrong uh, chapter here. Uh, we should be reading chapter 22. I thought one in the world is a little bit, a little bit too uh, different. Okay, yeah. So we'll start at verse two because verse one is pretty much the same thing. Instruct Aaron and his sons to be scrupulous about the sacred donations that the Israelite people consecrate to me, lest they profane my holy name. Mine, yod Wauhes. Okay. Say to them, throughout the ages, if any man among your offspring, while in the state of impurity, partakes of any sacred donation that the Israelite people may consecrate to yod Wauhe, that person shall be cut off from before me. I am by the way, um, again, for those of you who are not familiar with this, Hebrew reads from right to left, uh, as opposed to left to right. So let's just see what some of the commentaries say about this. We want to cover all bases here. Uh, Rashi says they that they keep away from the holy things. The term, uh, in, in reading the Hebrew here, always denotes keeping aloof. Uh, similarly, it is said in Ezekiel 14, 7, and he separates himself from following me. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, they are gone away backward. The meaning of this verse, therefore, is they, the priests, shall keep aloof from the holy things during the time of their uncleanness. Okay. So, which they hollow unto me. Hollow means uh, separate or the holy things again. This is intended to include the prohibition, the holy things of the priests themselves. Okay, let's see what uh, Rambon has always got a lot to say about some of these things. Speak unto Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel. That and that they profane not my holy name, which they hollow unto me. Hollow, again, meaning separate, dedicate, consecrate. It's another word for holy as well. Transpose the verse. Um, so this is 81. Let me see here. This is actually a lot. Um, 
Yeah, we won't read that entire thing. And it and it interprets and interpret it thus, quote, that they, the priests, when in a state of impurity, separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, which they, the children of Israel, hollow unto me, and that they, the priests, profane not my holy name, which they hollow unto me. This comes to include things hollowed by the priests themselves. This is Rashi's language. But, I like this, but because uh, Ramban always has a different interpretation than Rashi does, right? But if we explain which they hollow unto me as referring to the things which the priests themselves hollow, in other words, the things that the priests themselves dedicate or consecrate, set aside, set apart for the Lord, in other words, then there is no need for this transposition. Rather, according to this, this final interpretation mentioned by Rashi, the whole verse can be explained in the order it is written without transposing the phrases in the following way. Scripture is stating, quote, that they, the priests, separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they, the priests, profane not by means of them, i.e. the holy things, my holy name, through eating them in a state of impurity, and that which they, the priests themselves, hollow unto me, they should also not profane. Meaning that they, the priests, should not uh, should not profane the holy things which Aaron and his sons themselves hollow unto, and thus there is no need for transposing the verse. And in the Torah, kahanim, kohanim, uh, that would be uh, the Hebrew word for priests. Uh, it is interpreted as follows: that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel for the holy things of the children of Israel the priests are liable to punishment for eating pegul 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 uh, pegul means an offering that has been rendered unfit uh, through certain improper intentions at the time it it was slaughtered or offered namely if the ministering person had in mind to eat it or burn it upon the altar, the parts uh, the parts that must be burnt after the expiration of the transpired or the excuse me the prescribed times, and that is found in the commandments. It says volume two, page one twenty one. Uh, see there for the whole commandment about the prohibition of eating pigul um, nothar, or when in a state of impurity. But they are not liable for eating pagul or nothar, or or when in a state of impurity, if they are holy things of non-Jews, the holy things of the children of Israel. From excuse me, from this, I would only know that the priests, when in a state of impurity, are not to eat of the holy things of the children of Israel. How do I know that this prohibition applies also to the holy things which they themselves have hollowed from the expression which they hollow unto me, which includes all of them, even those of the priests themselves? But there in the, the Torah Kohanim, no mention is made at all of the transposition of the verse, as Rashi said, and by the 
way of the truth, the mystic teachings of Kabbalah, which they hollow unto me, I am the eternal, means that the priests are not to profane the name which is hollowed hollowed to him, since his name is upon the sanctuary of the eternal, and therefore they should not cause my presence to depart therefrom when they profane the holy things. I have already alluded to this in the section of Veiku Li Teruma. And they take for me an offering. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Okay, so... Um, very, very specific how the priests are to handle the, the things that are dedicated to the Lord, uh, the offerings and, and such. Very, very strict. Back to Leviticus chapter 22, verse 3. Say to them, if any one of, of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has an uncleanness, that, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or any man, or excuse me, or a man who has, who has had an emission of semen, and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made clean, unclean, excuse me, or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat, shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat of the holy things, because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beasts, and so make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it, and thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. A layperson shall not eat of a holy thing, no foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of, of a holy thing. But if he buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall eat, or excuse me, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced, and has no child and returns to her father's house, as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food, yet no layperson shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord. And so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them, the acceptable offerings. Verse 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel, and say to them, 
when any one of the house of Israel or the soldiers in Israel present a burnt offering as his offering or any of the of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord if it be if it is to be accepted for you it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or of the sheep or the goats let me just stop here for a second take note here let me let me just point this out take note we're talking about the sojourners in Israel as well like these are people who are just staying there okay these are people who are basically just visiting they're not necessarily the Israelites uh, and yet, they also partake of the burnt offerings. So you see, uh, again, the, the, the Torah is also for them. Verse 20, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, to fulfill a vow, or as a freewill offering from the herd or the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There, there shall be no blemish in it. Now, again, this vow here is more than likely talking about specifically the Nazarite vow that we that we will, excuse me, that we will read of in Numbers chapter six, because the Nazarite vow includes. Um, the Nazarite vow includes animal sacrifices. All right, so, um, and when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow, or as a freewill offering from the herd of, or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short, for a free will offering, but for a vow offering cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it with, within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner, since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they, uh, they will not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day, and from the eighth day on it shall be accept, uh, shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may, you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall not 
excuse me, you shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Leviticus chapter 23. So this is where it's talking about the feasts of the Lord. Uh, let me see here. We got um, Vinny. Uh, we see here. It says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Welcome. Good to see you. Abril. Abril says, Shalom, Shalom. Shalom. Welcome. Welcome. Good to see you. Okay. So we've got Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the, to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you may, excuse me, that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. The Sabbath. Six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Verse 4. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Now in the footnote here about twilight, it says between the two evenings is the Lord's Passover. By the way, Passover is pretty, we're coming upon Passover very shortly, aren't we? Won't be long. We will be uh, celebrating Passover. We'll see how it goes. Lord willing, maybe uh, we'll all celebrate Passover together. How's that sound? A live stream Passover. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day, or excuse me, on the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You show not any ordinary work. So, again, let's just recap here. So, on the, uh, the Passover, the first day of the Passover is a Sabbath, so to speak. Okay? You're not supposed to do, do any work. So, that is a, is a holiday. You're not supposed to work on that day. And also on the seventh day, the last day of the Passover, uh, you shall not do any ordinary work on that day as well. So the other days, it is permitted to work during, during the Passover. Verse 9, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give, that I give you, and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall wave the sheaf before the lord so that you may be accepted 
On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasant with a pleasant aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hin. Fourth of a hin in the footnotes. About uh, a hen was about four quarts or three and a half liters. So a fourth of a hen would be about a quart. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched or parched or fresh until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now again. I mean, this is not just temporary, right? This is not just a temporary law. It doesn't say until the Messiah comes and then, and then Jesus will be the end of the law. That's not what it says. It says it will be a statute forever throughout, throughout your generations in all your dwellings. In other words, no matter where you're living, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what generation you are in, forever it's a statute. The Feast of Weeks. Now, the Feast of Weeks. Um, you see, verse 15, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Okay, so this would be like um, the Feast of Weeks, like Shavuot. Uh, in the New Testament, this would be called Pentecost. And keep in mind as well, in the New Testament, the New Testament church, Book of Acts church, they're still celebrating these feasts. Nobody said, oh, well, we're not supposed to celebrate them anymore. I mean, Jesus came, he nailed it to the cross, he's the end of the law, um, we're done. I mean, we don't have to celebrate Passover anymore. God forbid. That's not what they did. They celebrated Pentecost. That's why they were all there in the upper room. Okay? And that's... And God even celebrated Pentecost, right? God celebrated Shavuot, which is a feast of the Lord. A feast of the Lord. I find it interesting that so many Christians, they celebrate worldly holidays, but not the holidays of the Lord. They should be celebrating the holidays of the feasts of the Lord long before they celebrate any worldly or secular holidays. Verse 16, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of, of new, new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish and one bull from a uh, herd excuse me from the herd and two rams they shall be a burnt offering to the lord with their grain offering and their drink off food offering with a pleasant aroma to the lord and you shall offer one male goat an offering and two male lambs 
a year old as a as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priests shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priests. Okay. Uh, this that you you read this phrase over and over again in the scriptures, holy to the Lord, holy to the Lord. Uh, it's kind of difficult to understand what that really means, especially in the modern day. The word holy means separate, set apart, consecrated. Um, so holy to the Lord just means it's set apart for for God. Okay. By the way, you and I, we are called to be holy to the Lord. We are called to be separated, set apart to God. The word church in the New Testament is translated from the Greek word ekklesia, which is a combination of two words, ek and kaleo. Ek means out, kaleo means call. Actually, kaleo is very closely related to the English word call. Right? So, the word church literally means the called out ones. If if God has called you out, if you are called out, you hear the voice of the Lord, you read the scriptures. I mean, Lord, the Lord can speak to you in many ways. The Lord, I mean, first and foremost, here we got the scriptures. But God can speak to you through nature. Remember, even Yeshua said, consider the lilies of the field, the grass, you know, uh, so many so many things. God can speak to you in many different ways. He can just give you like an impression on your spirit. Some people, I, you know, they hear an audible voice, but that's not always the case. Actually, that's, that's, that's quite rare. Um, but God does speak. And a lot of people hear the voice of God, I think, and they don't even they don't even recognize it as the voice of God. But if you hear some kind of voice, okay, or have some kind of impression, or, or feel some kind of nudge within your heart, within your spirit, come out from among them. Because that's what the Lord says. Come out from among them, says the Lord. Be separate. Don't touch any unclean thing, and then I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. That is being called out. And if you respond to that call, you are the church. You are the ecclesia, the ekaleo, the ones who, who have been called out. Called out from the corrupt world, the corrupt world system. Called out from the secular secularism, secular humanism, called out from that, called to think differently, to walk differently, to live differently, to talk differently. Then you are holy to the Lord. Remember, many times, and we've read it so, how many times have we read it so far up until this point where God says, be holy as I am holy. God is holy. He's, he's so different than the corrupt world that we're, that we're living in. His ways are so different than the ways of the world. His thoughts are so different than the thoughts of the secular people. He's holy. So we're called to be holy. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And then we, we ourselves, we will be holy to the Lord. Leviticus 23, verse 21, And you shall make a proclamation on the same day 
You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever. Again, forever. Remember, these feasts, the feasts of the Lord here, statutes forever. God had, there was enough room, there was enough time for God to say, it shall be temporary until the Messiah comes. God could have said that. He didn't. He said, it is a statute forever. In all your dwelling places, wherever you live, throughout all your generations, doesn't matter what, there's no ex, expiration date. Verse 22, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor, for the soldier. I am the Lord your God. Again, see God's heart here, his love. It's like, don't be stingy, you know, telling the farmers, don't, don't, like, don't, if you're harvesting the field, don't reap right down to the last grain. Like, leave some food for those who are less fortunate than you are. Leave, leave some food for those who are less fortunate than you are. Beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? The Torah is beautiful. The Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. Verse 23, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. And then we have the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, depending on how you want to, I've heard it pronounced different, both ways. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Now, in the footnotes here, afflict yourselves, it says, or shall fast. Now, this is very, very rare to see this in here because most translations would not say fast. You know what? We, we, I don't have this really set up or on schedule, but let's let's compare different Bible translations to see if they actually use the word fast. Okay, so this is Leviticus 23.27. So let's, let's take a look at this, comparing different Bible translations. Let's just see what it says. Are you guys having, are you guys enjoying this as much as I am? I'm enjoying it. Okay, so in the King James, it says you shall afflict your souls. doesn't say anything about fasting. New King James, it also says afflict your souls. doesn't say anything about fasting. Uh, NLT, I don't even know if it's worthy to mention the NLT, uh, but the NIV says deny yourselves, and the footnote says or and fast, okay, in the footnote. Uh, ESV says afflict yourselves, again, in the footnote, or shall fast. 
CSB, you shall hold a sacred assembly and practice self-denial. Um, NASB 20 says, shall humble yourselves, or literally, literally, you shall humble your souls. Humility is, is just so important, guys. Humility is just so important. NASB 95, you shall humble your souls. NET, you shall humble yourselves. RSV, you shall afflict yourselves. ASV, you shall afflict your souls. Young's literal translation says, you have humbled yourselves. Darby says, you shall afflict your souls. The web says, you shall afflict your souls. Hebrews, Hebrew names version says, you shall afflict your souls. Okay, so, um, very, very interesting. So it doesn't it doesn't specify whether certain manuscripts actually says fast. Okay, it does say to afflict your souls. It does say to humble yourselves. You say, how you know? How come we got so many different variations of this particular verse? One thing is one thing is the word humble in the in the original Hebrew manuscripts is very very close to the word for afflicted. Okay. And you, when you come to think about it too, the people who are very, very humble people, they're humble for a reason. It, it just didn't, it's not like they just won the lottery and all of a sudden they were humble. No, they've been through, they've been through some things and that's why they're humble. They've been through some hard times. They've been afflicted in various ways and that's why they're humble. And it's very, very important. To stay humble, to be humble, to stay humble. It says in the scriptures, God opposes the proud. That word opposes in the original Hebrew, or in the original Hebrew and the original Greek, actually. Uh, it, it, it denotes uh, a picture of, of um, battle array, like not just opposing, not just, not just pushing back but rather waging war against, okay? So when it says God opposes the proud, what it literally, what it's, the picture that it paints in the original manuscripts, basically it says God wages war against the proud, sets himself up in battle array against the proud. But it says, he gives grace to the humble. Doesn't say he gives grace to everybody. It says he gives grace to the humble. Everybody wants to claim his grace, right? Everybody and their brother and their sister and their mother and their dog claims the grace of God. But according to the scriptures, there is a condition. God gives his grace to the humble. Instead of praying for his grace, we should be praying to be more humble, right? Like, Father, remove, rip out all pride out of our hearts. Rip out all pride and ego and, and arrogance out of our hearts and make us humble. Because once we're humble, then we are, I mean, we're set up. The stage is set for God to lavish us with his grace. Continuing with Leviticus chapter 23. 
So again, this is talking about Yom Kippur. Now on the 10th day of the seventh month, it is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a holy time of convocation. You shall afflict your soul, your uh, afflict yourselves in the footnotes here, afflict yourselves or shall fast and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted, afflicted, or is not fasting, on that very day shall be cut off from his people. Did you guys know one of the first, when I first experienced that um, regeneration of God, his his resurrection power, the born again experience in 92. One of the first things I, I actually celebrated Yom Kippur. Because it happened just a, weeks after, weeks after that experience. Beautiful thing. I, st- I will never forget it. Beautiful thing. First time I actually even fasted. I tell you, after fasting like that, you're more grateful. <laughs> you're more grateful. Um, and you know, it's not all about, you know, some people can't fast. And I've 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 always said this and I'll say it again. And I'm not a medical doctor. You need to ask your doctor about fasting. If you're serious about this, ask your doctor about fasting. Some people can't fast for various reasons, various medical conditions they have. It's just not a good idea to fast. Okay. And I would not recommend it. I would certainly recommend you get a green light from your doctor first. Um, If you cannot fast food, then there are other ways of fasting that's just, could be just as as effective. You can fast from other pleasures. Whatever pleasure may be, you can ask ask God. If, If you cannot fast for one reason or another, you can't do it. Maybe you got some kind of a, maybe there's some medical issue, whatever it is. Don't despair. Ask God. Just say, you know, Father, what, show me a, a pleasure, something that I, that I take pleasure in that I can fast. Something that I take pleasure in almost every day or every day. And uh, you're serious. I'm pretty sure that God will answer. God will God will answer you. Oh man. So yeah, it's very important. I mean, even fasting, maybe I don't know, fasting social media would be one thing. Uh, fasting, um, fasting, um, maybe if you can't fast food altogether, maybe you can fast some of your favorite food and eat other food that you don't necessarily like. But it's, you know, as long as it's healthy for you, you know. Maybe some of that real healthy food that just doesn't, you don't just, you know, it's like eating sawdust. You know what I mean? Maybe that can be a fast for you. Or, I mean, anything else, right? Any kind of pleasure. Listening to music, and a lot of music shouldn't be listened to anyway if it's secular music. Watching movies, Netflix, whatever else. I mean, all that stuff should (laughs) Almost all of that stuff, if not all of that stuff, should be a permanent, <laughs> permanent fast anyway. Um, but I mean, you ask God, what, what could I, what pleasure could I fast? Maybe there's some kind of entertainment you like to engage in. 
instead of going to whatever, instead of going and hanging out with the guys like you do every day, or whatever the case is, fast that. Some Something to humble yourself, to afflict yourself, to afflict your souls. Denying yourself a certain pleasure. It's a beautiful thing, you know. It's a beautiful thing. That's one of the greatest problems, I think, with people in developed nations is they they indulge so much in pleasures and they become so full of themselves, for lack of a better word, lack of a better way of putting it. They need to fast, not just food, but many things. I see we got clutch here. It says coffee, alcohol, weed, meat. Not saying I do those, just examples. Very much. Yes, absolutely. A few of those things I think would should be permanent fast anyway. And uh, Clutch says, by the way, good evening. Good evening, Clutch. And welcome as always. Good to see you. All right. Get back to Leviticus chapter 23. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. So God's very, he's serious about this, right? Now, again, I know most, if not all of us, have not really um, always observed this kind of um, feast of the Lord. And actually, this is not a feast of the Lord. This is a fast of the Lord, right? This this particular day, most of the other uh, holidays of the holy days of the Lord are, are fe- feasts, like the Sabbaths and, and so on are feasts. This is more like a fast of the Lord. Uh, but uh, he's very, very serious about it. It's very serious. Verse 30, And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever. Again, forever. How many times? Many, many times we read this kind of stuff throughout the Torah. Forever. <laughs> uh, yeah. I sometimes I like to kind of poke poke our little antinomian, you know, antinomians out there. And I, was, and I read, I say, it is a statute to be observed until the Messiah comes. And then it is, that's the end of it. It's nailed to the cross. No, it's a statute forever. Throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. In other words, no excuses. Well, that's for the olden days. Mm-mm-mm. All your generations. Well, that's for the Jerusalem and not for where I am. Mm-mm. All your dwelling places, no matter where you are. Verse 32. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. Feast of Booths. This is one of the. This is one of my. This is very fun. If you if you guys have never celebrated Feast of Booths before, aka Sukkot, Sukkot. Uh, it's a fun thing to celebrate. It's a very fun thing to celebrate. Um, actually, I have not celebrated it. It's only been actually relatively recently that I've been celebrating Sukkot. Um, relatively recently, I haven't celebrated all my life, but, uh, uh, I never forget the first time I celebrated Sukkot, I put up like a, 
know, tarps and everything outside. And, and, um, I did it in more of a traditional Jewish way, you know, with the uh, tree branches over the, over the uh, tent or the sukkah, the quote unquote booth. And at night, looking up and seeing the stars and thinking about how it was in the days of Moses. Thinking about how, I mean, you really, it's, it really drives it home. It really makes it, it makes it, you can relate to the children of Israel more. When you actually celebrate these kind of holidays and festivals and this kind of thing, you really relate to the children of Israel more. Like, you know, Lord willing, we celebrate Passover. And, you know, Passover is a very, very amazing, um, uh, an amazing feast to celebrate. And it's all about really looking back and, and relating to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Uh, but here too, the Feast of Booths, it's all about kind of connecting with that ancient past, connecting with that ancient people. and relating to them like being in a in a sukkah being in a a tent or a booth you would think that perhaps this would be sim similar to what they've experienced and to and to just to go through that yourself and again i i never forget looking up in the in the sky and seeing the stars and you know the children of israel experienced this so it's an awesome thing. It's awesome. After celebrating the Feast of the Lord, I look back and I'm thinking, wow, so many Christians are missing out so much. They're missing out so much. Like, why not celebrate the Feast of the Lord? The Bible holidays. And they celebrate other holidays that's not in the Bible. But the ones in the Bible, they they don't. We, we should be celebrating these holidays. These feasts. The Feast of Booths, Sukkot. Sukkot. Sukkot, by the way, is a Hebrew word, which is plural of sukkah. Sukkah means booth or tabernacle or tent. Dwelling place, sukkah. By the way, on the um, Mount of Transfiguration. Now, it could have been. I'm not sure. Maybe it was on Sukkot when it happened. I don't know. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah appeared with Yeshua and Peter, James, and John, uh, and Peter's like, hey, I'm going to build, let, let's set up a sukkah. That's what he wanted to set up. That's what, Let's set up a sukkah so you guys could stay here. This is biblical culture. You and I, as Bible believers, we should be intimately, uh, we should be intimately, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Aware, intimately connected in, uh, with biblical culture. Obviously, Peter must have been. It's the first thing he thought about. It was like, Moses is here. Elijah's here. Sukkah. Let's do a sukkah. Sukkot, guys. Let's do it. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
It really brings the Bible to life. And when you actually do these kind of things, you celebrate the feasts and all this kind of stuff, it makes it so much more real. It drives it so it drives it home a lot more. It brings it out of that kind of oblivion, you know, state into you know reality. That's really what God wants, right? He wants us to realize the scriptures. He wants us to realize the history of his people. It's very, very important. And again, these festivals and feasts and holidays are there as memories, right? God wants us to, I I should say, are there as memorials, okay? God wants us to remember what he did. He wants us to remember what he did in the past with the children of Israel, the Exodus, you know, Passover, the Feast of Booths, right? All these, He wants us to remember all these things. But he also wants us to remember what he did for us. He wants you to remember what he did for you. It's very, very important for us to take time. I mean, at least once a year, maybe even more, maybe once a month, once a week, I don't know. But it's very, very important for us to take time and think back, what did you used to be like? What did God do in your life? How did God change you? The miracles that God did for you, how he got you out of those situations that you were in, how he saved your life. Wow. Beautiful, you know? It's awesome. How he blessed you when you weren't even expecting the blessing. How he spoke to you. Those those times in your life when he, he stepped in, he visited you. And it changed your life. It's important for us to remember these things. Very, very important. Right, Yeshua said, as, as, many, as, as often as you do this, do this in my remembrance, right? In memory of me. It's very important to remember. God gives us that capacity to remember. That's, it's for a reason. It's very important. Again, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month. Now, I should make it clear that these months are the Hebrew months. Okay, this is not like, this is not the fifteenth day of the seventh month as we know it today in the typical Gregorian calendar. Like, you know, this is not July 15th, okay? This is... uh, the seventh, the fifteenth day of the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, uh, which would be like uh, the first month is in like March, April, you know. So the seventh month would be more like in October, uh, in around that area. Okay, depending each year is di- a little bit different, but um, yeah, it's important to understand that's that's what it means here. So on the 15th day of the seventh month, and for seven days, is the Feast of Booths. Again, this is Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. Right here it says in the footnote, Tabernacles. Feast of Booths to the Lord. 
On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do you shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. So it's very similar to that of Passover. The first day is is a Sabbath, and the seventh day is a Sabbath. Or the eighth day, I should say. Excuse me. Eighth day is a Sabbath as well. Verse 37. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, drink offerings each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. On the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. Leviticus 24 uh, let me see here if we um, check out some of your comments here before we get too far. Anthony asked a question, how many different special days are observed? Is it just Sabbaths, new moons, feast days, and fast days? Yeah, I can't think of anything other than that. I mean, uh, somebody might. There's a, there is a uh, an argument as to whether or not, um, let's say, ha um, Hanukkah, it, it should be celebrated. I, I think it should be, uh, even though it's not in the Torah per se. It's not really in the five books of Moses. Uh, it is um, a, an event that happened. It's recorded in the, the it's actually recorded in the Apocrypha in, uh, in Maccabees. And again, uh, it is a miracle of God that happened. Um, God did a special miracle for the people and provided oil that never ran out for, uh, what was it, eight, eight days? Um, so, um, Following the same kind of concept that God that that uh, God did in the Torah, 
you know, remember what God did to, to, you know, remember the miracles, remember what God did in your midst. Remember the, the wonderful works of God, you know, um, celebrating Hanukkah would be, um, would, would really fall in, in that kind of a category for sure. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not in the written books of Moses, but the concept is there. Apart from that, I, I wouldn't say yeah, if there's any other uh, special days to be observed. Um, now, again, this is not a, it's not written. It's not actually in writing in, in the in the scriptures. But again, celebrating your own, um, as I just said before, celebrating your own, let's say, for example, the day you, you came to the realize or you came to repentance. Um, Celebrating the day that you became a new creation, that you died to your old self. Celebrating days that, I mean, I don't think there's any anything wrong with that at all. Actually, I think it's really good. It's a really good thing to do. Let says, the Bible even says uh, not to bring the tree inside and decorate it. Uh, so strange we celebrate and not ones you're discussing. Yeah, and I know some people would say that that, that particular um, passage there, especially in Jeremiah, is talking about a Christmas tree. I, I don't see that. It's not. A, it's talking about a an idol. You know, the, the tree... Um, is is what they use for idols right so they would they would make an idol out of the tree and then they would decorate it and all that kind of thing like you know carving an idol out of the tree um i don't know of any christian that worships a christmas tree although maybe there are i mean as as my grandmother says out there uh you know the world it takes every it takes all to make a world right it takes all kinds to make a world so i'm sure there are people out there that would and and are you know actually do but i don't think so and um i i don't see that that is actually talking about a christmas tree it's talking about an idol that's made out of a tree I'm not even sure that Christmas trees would exist in the Middle East. Um, Anthony says, "The fast day you just read. You just read. Do you know when it is, or where I can find dates to all the fast days in the Torah?" Yeah. Um, let me just let me just uh, give you. Um, Uh, let me just give you so there's a there's a website called hebrew hebcal.com um and I'll show you I'll show you guys it's short for hebrew calendar Hebcal dot com. I'll show you guys. Uh, it's probably very hard to see. This is a calendar from uh, of uh, 2022, starting in January 2022. It shows you all. It shows you the different uh, holidays and different special days in the Hebrew calendar. Uh, we see here. Uh, this is April. Um, April starting at April fifteenth is Erev Pesach. Erev means the evening of Pesach means Passover. The evening of Passover begins on April fifteenth, for example, to um, 
April 22nd is the last day of Passover. So it's got a lot of different things here in Hebcal. Um, some of the things are like Rosh Hashanah, for example, is not necessarily in the in the in the Bible, but Yom Kippur is what we just read about. That's on October 5th of this year. Sukkot is on uh, what starts on the evening of um, the 9th. And it goes all the way to the 17th. So yeah, just check out uh, hebcal.com. The first three letters of Hebrew and the, and the first three letters of calendar, hebcal.com. And that would tell you uh, a little bit about all of the different dates. Vinny says, last year was our first year of keeping the Lord's festivals and feasts, such a, such a spiritual connection. Oh, man, Vinny, I hear you. I hear you. It's just so awesome. It's just so awesome. It's just like, wow, I missed out so, you know, for so long. Um, you definitely, once you, once you celebrate it, especially having the knowledge and the faith that we're talking about, um, it's something you never want to, you never want to, you never want to live without it again. Clutch says, I want to do them, but don't know the days or the customs or even what they mean. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. Um, because, yes, it can, it can be confusing. Uh, yeah, very confusing because we got people in the Messianic and the Hebrew roots um, circles that celebrate these, um, these feasts and festivals on different days. Um, some of them go by the lunar calendar. Some go by the solar calendar. Uh, and uh, I myself, up to this day, I you know I go by the the traditional Jewish calendar. Okay, uh, such as what you've you, such as what you read on uh, Hebrew uh, hebcal.com. Um, I do that because I think there's more evidence. Now, I am open, and this is what I've said before a couple months ago. I am open to look at uh, the pause. I, I am looking, excuse me, I am open to look at the lunar calendar. I just do not see up to this point, I have not seen enough evidence that that is the actual calendar that should be observed. Now, if somebody wants to observe the, the the lunar calendar, and like last year it was like it was off by like a month, okay. So, but if somebody wants to observe that, I'm I did not condemn them or anything like that, you know. Like you you want to you want to observe you know Sukkot or whatever on the lunar calendar. Like to me, it's like you know, God bless you, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. Right? Um, I'm celebrating it on the the more of the traditional accepted. Um, Jewish calendar of that. Um, yeah, so I've he I've heard some arguments about you know in in favor of the lunar calendar. Uh, it's just that I just don't see any real good convincing evidence of that. I believe the Jewish people they, they have a long history going back thousands of years of celebrating on certain using a certain calendar, and they they always have. Um, 
And so that's the reason why I, I do, I celebrate on that calendar. Now, once again, if, if I see um, evidence that the, the lunar calendar, uh, i.e. the calendar that's not the traditional Jewish calendar, is actually for sure uh, beyond a reasonable doubt that's the calendar that, that should be celebrated, then yeah, we'll celebrate on the lunar calendar. Right. Uh, at this point, I don't see it. Um, and I have actually invited people to discuss that. And um, I haven't gotten much, again, I haven't gotten much response or uh, good evidence in that, in that regard yet. I don't think it's a, it should be a big deal. I don't think that people should be separated over that kind of stuff. Like if somebody wants to celebrate on a different calendar as opposed to this calendar, it's like, you know, I don't think it's something that we should be, you know, in a schism over it. Um, now, when it comes to the customs, that can also be confusing. So the way I look at it is similar to how I look at the uh, the rest of the Torah um, compared to the, the traditional, uh, tradi compared to the Halakha, okay? The Halakha is the Jewish law, okay? The Torah, when I say Torah, I'm talking about the written word of God, God's law. And so what I would say is, in regards to the customs and that kind of thing, I wouldn't be too hard. I wouldn't be too heavy on it. Um, I would be focused on what does the Word of God actually say. What is it? What does it say as opposed to what it doesn't say? Okay. There are a lot of Jewish customs that are added to it, and sometimes it. I mean, a lot of times it's okay, no problem. Like I just, I just uh, spoke about Sukkot, and I've been celebrating Sukkot in more of a traditional Jewish way too. And I think it's great. I don't think it's really, uh, I don't think it's adding to the law really. I, I think it's just more of just do it. Like have, we have um, traditions that is um, just like kind of decorating the actual, the, the commandments that are, that are already there. Like there are a lot of things as we read through uh, the scriptures. We read through the whole chapter of the Feast of the Lord right now, uh, Leviticus chapter 23. There are a lot of things, a lot of details that are not covered there, such as like, how do you build a sukkah? How do you build a booth? What kind of materials do you use? How big should it be? Uh, what kind of roof should it have? Should it have a roof? Um, all kinds of questions. Okay. Same with Passover. It doesn't really tell you a whole lot of details. Like, how should it be eaten? How long should it be eaten? How much of a meal should it be? Uh, I mean, all this stuff. Lots of details are missing. And so that's when I would kind of lean a little bit more onto the Jewish uh, customs and pick up some of the Jewish customs because, hey, they've been doing it for thousands of years. Now, I'm not looking at the Jewish customs, and I think it's very important to 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 separate them in your mind like okay this is what the word of god actually says okay and not to confuse the word of god or the 
the written Torah with the Jewish customs. As long as the Jewish customs don't go against the written Torah, I mean, should be fine. As long as you don't confuse the two, like 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 put the Jewish customs above the Torah, for example. Um, so yeah, so I like I built sukkahs, um, Sukkot. Uh, in more of a traditional Jewish way, because I mean, I've re- I read the scriptures, and yeah, as I say, there's a lot of details that are not in there. So I think, okay, to fill in the details, to fill in the blanks, I'll just look to the, our Jewish brothers and sisters, just to help get the ball rolling, to help understand, you know, to fill in the blanks, so to speak. So, um, bottom line is this. Understand what the scriptures say and stick with that. Use that as a foundation. Don't do anything against it. And understand that is the final authority. You know, other things can be added on to there. Like, you know, like God can say, go and bake a cake and doesn't tell you what kind of cake to bake. You know what I mean? Doesn't tell you if, if you, if you, if you should put icing on it or not. So, and that's kind of like what it is when it, when it comes to the scriptures. God tells us, okay, do this, but d- no details. And so then you have to look elsewhere to get a little bit more details, like how should I do it? But, you know, Lord willing, we will celebrate a lot of this kind of thing um, together, live stream this year, this year, Lord willing. So looking forward to it. Anthony says, my friend believes because in the New Testament, by the way, you guys, for those of you who are listening right now, I am going to get back to Leviticus 24, 25, 26, 27. I just want to check out some of these comments first. Um, I appreciate your time and your questions and your comments. My friend believes, Anthony said, because in the New Testament, Paul says, I am carnal and sold under sin that we can't be free from sin. Uh, you know, any good responses? I showed him Elizabeth and Zechariah, but he said Zechariah sinned when he doubted God. <laughs> um, okay, so here's the thing. The whole thing about I am carnal, sold under sin. Let's look it up. Yeah. Romans chapter 7, okay? Romans chapter 7 is always the go-to chapter for people to, uh, for believe, so-called believers, to excuse or justify their sin. And what you need to understand is Romans chapter 7, Paul is playing the sinner. He puts on, if you, if you, Study the the epistles of Paul, and I I, I really I really hate to get into you know because you know what I, I honestly believe that Paul whoever and it, whoever decided to put Paul Paul's epistles in the Bible and then to deify the Bible did a great disservice to the church. Okay, because Paul's epistles are not needed for salvation. Paul is not needed for salvation. Paul is not our our savior. Paul is not God. Paul is not even a prophet. 
never claimed to be, never claimed to be a prophet. But people, Christians, treat him as if he is their, you know, sole prophet. Like he's, he's the prophet of Christianity above anybody else. Uh, that's a mistake. If you study the epistles of Paul, you'll see that Paul has a way of writing. He likes to play, he likes to put on different hats, okay? Like for example, and I'll I'll pull it up and I'll show you, I'll show you. So, um, in 2 Corinthians 11.23, Paul put on the fool's hat, okay? Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Uh, in laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths, offerings from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, 40 stripes minus one. Three. So he goes on and he's bragging. He's doing what he should not do. He's, he, he even said right there, I'm speaking like a fool. I am speaking, I'm putting on the fool's hat right now. I'm being a fool. He said it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul played the fool. In Romans chapter 7, Paul plays the sinner. He's like, this is the, what it's like to be a sinner. I'm sold under sin. I don't know, no, no. Like, first of all, I would say read the chapter before and the chapter after. It's very clear. Paul is, is preaching <laughs> so much. <laughs> so it's very, it's very clear. Paul is, 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 is saying, hey, you know, you you're set free from sin by the death you you identify with the death of Christ you are dead to sin okay i am crucified with christ galatians 2:20 i am crucified with christ i no longer live but christ lives in me how can you sin if you no longer live and christ lives in you if everything if every if if christ is you know you live christ you breathe christ you walk christ you talk christ everything you're it's not no it's no longer you but christ lives in you that's what he said in galatians chapter 2 verse 20 in the chapter before that when he says i'm sold understand when he said again he's playing the he's playing the fool he's playing the sinner he put on the sinner's hat he said basically this is what it's like to be a sinner the chapter before he says, what shall we say then? This is Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? In other words, you're dead to sin. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You cannot be a slave to sin if you're dead to sin. If you're a dead man, dead men don't sin. I mean, you read in the chapter after too, Romans chapter 8 talks about, we have victory in Christ. Who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me from this, from this flesh, from this uh, body of corruption? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, he, he speaks about victory over that. In Romans chapter 8. He speaks about being dead to sin in Romans chapter 6. 
Very, very clear. Again, reading reading on in Romans chapter 6, just, just to drive it home a little bit more. Or do you not know, like, don't you know, that many as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, we're dead with him. How can we sin? How can we be slaves to sin if we're dead with it? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism to death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, the, uh, by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Not again. This is not in bondage to sin, but in newness to li- newness of life. For if we have been united together in His likeness, in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ... Having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And again, going on and on is reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to to uh, to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse eleven. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on here. Sin shall not have dominion over you. In other words, you're not sold under sin. You are freed because you're dead to sin by the faith of the crucifixion. You're dead with Christ. It's very, it's painfully clear. You read, what I would do, Anthony, is read to, to your friend. I would read Romans chapter 6, just like how I'm reading it. Read it verse by verse by verse and say, don't you understand? Don't you understand how Paul writes here? Paul said in Romans chapter, again, Romans chapter 7, Paul is basically putting on the sinner's hat. He's like, okay, this is what it's like to be a sinner. What I want to do, that I don't do. What I want it, what I don't want to do, that I do. I'm sold under sin, yada, yada, yada. But no, that's not how it should be. Basically, that's he sandwiched that. You know, he likes to role play, right? He rolls, he um he role plays the sinner in in uh, Romans chapter seven, but he sandwiches that that chapter with Romans chapter six and Romans chapter eight, which is very 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 clear that you're you're set free from sin. So that's one thing I would say to him. Another thing I would say is, listen, I would ask him some very very simple questions. Say, does God want? Does God want you to sin. I hope anybody in their right anybody in their right mind would say, absolutely not. God doesn't want me to sin. That's what that's why it's sin. It's wrong. It's bad. Um, God doesn't want me to sin. That's why he says don't do it. So um so okay. Number one, God doesn't want you to sin. Okay. Okay. So we got that settled. Number two, John chapter eight. Jesus said, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. So that's very clear. And even Paul said that too. You're either a slave of righteousness or you're a slave to sin. You're a slave to God by obeying his law or you're a slave to the devil by sinning. So God doesn't want you to be a slave of sin, right? Anybody in their right mind, if you know any little, if you know even the slightest little bit about the Bible, you should say, no, of course God doesn't want me to be a slave. So number three, does God, is God powerful enough 
to set you free from sin. Does God have enough power to set you free from sin? Or is sin more powerful than God? Who's more powerful? Is God more powerful than sin? Or is sin more powerful than God? Well, I'm going to keep on sinning until I die. Then in heaven, I'm not going to sin. Uh Uh-uh, wait a second. Wait a second. You're saying that you put more faith in your death than in Jesus' death? You're saying that your death actually saves you from sin and not Jesus' death? Wrong. Wrong. You're putting your faith in yourself, in your own death. You should be putting your faith in Jesus' death. When he died, I died. That's what Paul was saying here in Romans chapter 6. Again, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Not that he paid for me. No. Not that he paid a debt for me. No. Absolutely not. Vicarious atonement, substitutionary atonement. Jesus died for me, so I don't have to die. Jesus paid the price, so I don't have to pay. Wrong. That's just absolutely wrong. That keeps people in bondage to sin. What they should be saying is, I died with him so that my sinful self is gone, done away with, dead. Why? Because the power of God is stronger than the power of sin. And the power of the blood of Jesus is is powerful enough to set me free from the bondage of sin. That's what I would say to him. I would say, if your your so-called blood of Jesus just covers your sin, like as if if it's not powerful enough to cleanse your sin, to actually get rid of it, if you're still a slave to sin, It's weak. I would say, is is the blood of Jesus that weak that it can't break the chains of sin? Of course, you know, the answer is it is not that weak. It is is very, very powerful. It's not weak at all. But you got to put faith in that blood. You got to put faith in that crucifixion. I I died to sin when Jesus died. I'm crucified with him. Big capitals, with him. God is powerful enough to set a person free. Never forget, Romans chapter 7 is the go-to excuse justification for sinners. People who are sold to sin, sold to the devil. Slaves of sin. That's one of their favorite places to go is Romans chapter 7. That's the truth. Until they realize that Romans chapter 7, Paul is just role playing. He's just playing the sinner. Basically, this is what it's like to be a sinner. And of course, that's not, he was not stuck there. uh, Philippians 3. Paul makes it very clear. Philippians 3, 5, uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. See, Paul again is bragging about himself. A Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. 
What does that mean? That word blameless, that literally means that he lived 100% in, in line with the law of God, which means he didn't sin. That's what he said. Blameless means without fault. You don't have, there's no way you can point your finger at Paul and say, oh, Paul, you missed it here. Oh, Paul, you broke this law. Oh, Paul, Paul, you transgressed this law of God. You, I see there's sin in your life. Nope, blameless. So what Paul is saying here is that there was no sin. Because, you know, sin is transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4. What is sin? Transgression of the law of God. You violate the law of God, you sin. Paul made it very clear. According to the law, blameless, faultless. You, you can't find, you cannot point your finger at me and blame me for anything because I didn't even break any laws. That's what Paul says. Similar to Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke 1, verse 6. So that's what I would say, uh, Anthony. Thank you. That's a very good question. Vinny says, and it's kind of funny and crazy having to explain to everyone what we're celebrating. Yeah, especially when we got these people are supposed to be believers, right? The Tower Times says, thanks for the fellowship, Brother Enoch. Stay blessed. Thank you very much, the Tower Time. Blessings multiplied back to you. Clutch says, you kneel in front of the tree and put offering gifts. Uh, you're probably right as referring to something else. My, my wife will be thrilled. Yeah, you know, we all kneel. I mean, again, uh, I mean, we all kneel for different reasons, right? I mean, we all kneel. Um, doesn't mean that everything that's in front of us or for, you know, everything that's in front of us is actually something that we're worshiping. Remember, even Jesus said, this is a thing too. See, a lot of we we have such a carnal mind, right? A mind that's so, so carnal. Like, oh, you kneeled uh, in front of a table, so that that must mean you're worshiping the table. No, that just means I had to I have to kneel here. Okay, I have to tie my shoelaces or something. Okay, I mean, you know, I have to pick something up off the floor. This doesn't mean I'm bowing to the, you know, to the fireplace. Okay, <laughs> um, it's like Yeshua uh, and and the woman at the well. You know, it's. So carnal. It's like, how do we worship God? Is it is it in Mount Gerizim or is it in Jerusalem? You remember the Samaritans, that was their big thing, right? The Samaritans, that was their big thing. The number one difference between the Samaritan Torah and the Jewish Torah, I got a copy of, by the way, of the Samaritan Torah. Okay, so the number one difference, one of the greatest differences, there's lots of differences, thousands of differences, but one of the striking Biggest differences of the Samaritan Torah is the place where you're supposed to worship. Okay, or and actually, let me just back that up a little bit. Not, not literally the place where you're supposed to worship, but the place where the blessings were pronounced. Okay, or the, that kind of thing. Um, whereas in the uh, traditional Jewish um, uh, Masoretic text, it says Jerusalem, and here it's like Mount Gerizim, okay? Uh, so, I mean, the woman at the well asked Jesus a very, very good question. It's like one of the questions, it's, it's a question that people have been wanting to know for thousands of years. Tell us, Jesus, who's correct? 
Which book is correct? The Samaritan Bible or the Masoretic text? Jesus, you're here. Tell me, where's the place we should worship? And I love how Jesus completely just turned the whole table on that woman and just said, listen, it's not, it's not about physically worship. It's not about where you worship. It's not about geographical worship. Like, oh, I worship in this location or that location, or I worship like this, or no, it's not about physical things. He who worships God worships in spirit and in truth. God is more concerned about what you worship in spirit and in truth, as opposed to how you you can bow your knee to a thousand different things. But unless you do it in spirit and truth, you're not really worshiping that thing. I mean, you can get on your knees to tie the shoelaces of a child. Does that mean you're worshiping the child? Of course not. Why? Because you're not, you're not worshiping the child in spirit and truth. It's, it, you may take a picture of it and say, oh, look at this guy. Looks like he's worshiping the child. No. The guy is just tying the child's shoelaces. You bend down to, to pick something off the floor you know, in front of an old lady who dropped something. Snap. Picture, look at, he's worshiping this old lady. No, even if he bows the knee, doesn't mean he's worshiping the lady. It looks on the physical, um, like from the carnal point of view, it may look like you are, but you're not really, unless you really do it in spirit and truth. Unless you really do it with meaning, unless you really mean to do that. Thomas says the feasts are to remind us of what he did and what is what is to come. Yes. He was who he who is forgiven much loves much. Absolutely. Yes, it says that uh, in the scripture, it says that Jesus went to the synagogue on the Feast of Dedication. So, yeah, like the Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. So, uh, you know, I know some people could argue saying, well, Jesus really didn't celebrate Hanukkah. He was just there. And honestly, like, yeah, it doesn't explicitly say that he celebrated it, but it doesn't say that he didn't celebrate it either. And in it's, it appears to be that he was in amongst the rest of the Jewish people while they were celebrating uh, Hanukkah. And in that context, it seems like he did celebrate Hanukkah. I watched, uh, Byron says, I watched a video of last words of atheists, people who were skeptics of God. It was disturbing. Yeah, I can just imagine. I have a a book, actually, uh, you can download it. I think you can find it on a website called insightsofgod.org. I think that's what it is, .org. Uh, And it's a book um, in PDF format uh, called The Last, I think it's like The Last Words or The Last Sayings of the Dead or something like that. Um, and it's somebody who actually compiled, collected all of the last words of many, many people, both famous people and not so famous people and people that were believers versus people who were atheists. 
people who were sinners versus people who were saints. Um, and you really, really see a big difference. And it is true. Absolutely true. And the words, the last words of atheists um, or people who were skeptics of God or outright blatantly um, rebellious against God, many times their last words are very, very disturbing. Yes, in the sense that they, um, some people would be screaming in saying, I'm in hell. Or some people would be screaming and saying they're coming to get me or just nightmarish things. Whereas people who believe in God, people who not just believe in God, but live good lives and, and are good people, righteous and holy people, uh, have beautiful, beautiful last words. Anthony says, yes, this, uh, this was very help, uh, useful. Thank you for, your, for the help. God is powerful enough to set me free. Yeah, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, God doesn't want you to. It's pretty simple, right? God doesn't want you to do it. God's powerful enough to set you free. Voila, there you go. It's right there. Can you imagine living in a world where it's like, oh, I know God doesn't want me. I'm just this horrible sinner that I just cannot be set free from any of these sins and until I get to heaven and I'm just plugging along and I'm just I'm just so defeated by the devil all the time. But I have the greatest God who 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 with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, you know, uh set his people free from the bondage of Egypt, but he can't set me free from the bondage of sin. Like what? What? Jeff says, by the way, welcome, Jeff. Um, no one seems to understand when Paul's words may not mean what they think or when they don't align with God's word, as we should all know God didn't lie uh, when he said forever, right? Yes. Um, I, I, I assume you saw the last little video that I posted earlier today. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of Paul's epistles and a lot of Paul's writings are definitely misunderstood and misinterpreted for sure. And I don't believe that people should always be, a Christian should not always be defending Paul. I mean, <laughs> it's okay to say he made a mistake. It's okay. You know, it's okay. Um, Jenny says, uh, in spirit equals with intention, not just routine. Yeah, that's the idea. Thomas says, I go to a Messianic synagogue, but I'm looking for another Messianic group that sticks to the scriptures more. Where I go now, there are things happening that shouldn't be. One example is... Rampant and blatant immodesty, among other things. Yeah, I unfortunately I I hear a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of bad things that happen in in messianic um, circles as well. A lot of bad things. I even heard of messianics who uh, you know they, I don't know how they, I don't know how they can do this. I don't, I really don't know how. But they claim to be messianic, Torah observing, messianic, whatever. Yet they go and have a pig roast. Okay. How can you do that? Your guess is as good as mine. 
Athanatos asked a question, what was the name of the book? I think you mentioned before that shows how this particular Christian denomination lives the, the longest due to uh, follow the food laws. Yes, I mentioned that several times before. Unfortunately, Athanatos, unfortunately, um, the thing is, I don't know. I I. It, I don't know what the what the name of the book was. I never bought it myself. I did. I I did not buy that book. Um, that happened back in the mid nineteen nineties when I was walking through this Christian bookstore at this church, and I would typically walk through every every day, pretty much. I would go there every day, and I'd I'd go through the Christian bookstore and I'd pick up a certain book and just kind of open it up and read a few, read a little bit and pick up another book, you know, walk a little bit further, pick up another book, open it up and read another little bit, you know, pick up another book and you know, read a little bit more here and there. And one of, one of those things that I actually read was that was about the, um, uh, the food laws, the, um, the study that was done on all these different Christian denominations and churches and which one was the healthiest. I remember reading that and I just put it back. I, I, I did not, I don't know why, because it was one of those things that you just, you don't really understand the full, you don't understand the full impact of it at first uh, until later. Um, it's one of those things I just picked it up, read it, put it back and, and then move, you know, moved on. And, and then later on I'm thinking, Hey, Yeah. And I started meditating on that what I read what I read, and it, it really uh, it really uh, um, I, I changed me. It really uh, it was a powerful um, revelation. Why would people who obey the food laws be more healthier? And I always say, like, it, it doesn't say this in the book, but I always say that people should obey the food laws, even if it's not, even if it's not healthier, just because God said it. I mean, God said not to eat certain things, so let's not eat it. Oh, Jeff, uh, you said, I had not seen your earlier four-minute video. I'll see it after tonight's stream. Yeah, actually, that's what it was all about. It was about um, one of the passages of of Paul and uh, and saying basically you have you have a choice. It's either God lied, Paul was wrong, or Paul was misinterpreted. Yeah, one John two twenty six pig roast. Yeah, like messianic, right? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it at all. Um, but you know, I mean, never ceases to amaze me what some of these people. Uh, yeah. Let's start with Leviticus chapter twenty-four. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept." burning regularly now this talk about hanukkah this is basically what hanukkah was all about right uh, actually god provided the oil when it was not um uh otherwise available uh, he provided the oil by just miraculously making the lamp uh to keep burning without ever using that much oil for like eight days verse three Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. 
It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. Again, an ephah here is, uh, an ephah is about three-fifths of a bushel or 22 liters. So two-tenths of an ephah would be two-tenths of 22 liters. That would be what, four liters approximately? In each, um, shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure, pure frankincense in each pile, that it may go well, or excuse me, that it, that it may go with the bread in the memorial portion as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel a, as a covenant forever. Again, forever here. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings and perpetual due. Yeah, so. Yeah, again, so thinking about the forever, it shall be forever, not until, you know, it, it, God didn't say that it's only until, you know, the Levitical priesthood is done away with, and then the Melchizedek uh, priesthood will somehow replace it or something like that. No, it's forever, it says. Verse 10, now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and the man of Israel fought in the camp, and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. Mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who is cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him and speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, a sojourner as well as a na native, when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. Whoever takes a Human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Okay, so this eye for eye, tooth for tooth thing. Just stop here uh, for a minute because I think it's worth mentioning this. Although this typically would be speaking uh, uh, about a literal eye for eye, literal tooth for tooth, not always. Not always does it mean that. Because, again, there are certain circumstances you don't think about. For example, let's say, for example, one per a person only has one eye. A person only has one eye to begin with. And if he accidentally takes another someone else's eye out and that person has two eyes 
So then they're both left with one eye. So would it be just and fair to, put, to take out the last remaining eye of the person who took the one eye out of the other person so that one person is, is got sight in one eye and the other person has no sight at all? So in the history of the Sanhedrin uh, and Jewish law, they have determined that it's not fair uh, for someone who only has one eye to have their eye taken out as well, as long as they didn't take the, the last eye out of a person who, another person who only has one eye, but rather to pay in some other way. And sometimes it would be like a monetary pay, almost like how it is today in much of the West, Western world where there's monetary, um, monetary rewards uh, given to the one who has suffered loss. So it doesn't always mean literal, okay? Because sometimes there are, there are circumstances that uh, a literal rendition or a literal application of that law would just not be fair, okay? Very important to understand that. Verse 21. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. Right. So again, the sojourner is not a Jew. Okay. The native is. Okay, so this is, again, if we took a tally of how many places in the scriptures where it says that the stranger or the sojourner, uh, the, you know, is, uh, you know, the Torah applies to a stranger or a sojourner, um, it would be a lot. We got a lot of different places throughout the Torah where it says that it's applicable to the sojourner, to the stranger, and to the native as well. So to the Jew and the non-Jew. Verse 23. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed and stoned him with stones. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Leviticus 25, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Let me stop right here for a second. Some people, somebody said to me before that the only law that was given on Mount Sinai was the Ten Commandments. But that's not true. According to this, even this law was given on Mount Sinai. Because in the context, I was saying to this guy, I said, you know, when God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, he spoke to him publicly. It was with great power, great glory. It was with, you know, it was just mighty display of power. And so the Torah has more authority than, than, the, other, um, than the other books of the Bible. And he's like, well, I thought it was only the Ten Commandments that, was, that came from Mount Sinai. No, it's not only the Ten Commandments. Not only the Ten Commandments. And here's a good um, piece of evidence to prove that. In Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. Verse 3. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. 
But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. Again, it's like the land itself needs to have a Sabbath. It's like the land itself is like an, a living entity. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for yourself and for your male and female slaves. In the footnotes, servants. Today that would be translated as employees. And for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land, all its yield shall be for food. The year of Jubilee, verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years. Seven weeks or Sabbaths of years. Seven times seven years, so that the time of the seventy or the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet, or that would be the shofar, on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. So the jubilee year is the 50th year. I think we spoke about this with Onia there a few months ago. What you know Is the jubilee the 49th year or the 50th year? And here it sounds like very much like the 50th year. When each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his, to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy, buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee. And he shall sell to you according to the number of years of, or for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. And if the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules to perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it, in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when the crop, when its crop arrives. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. 
for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the, the, con- the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a, if a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the, in the Jubilee, it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. For a full year, he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in, in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to it to the buyer throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. But the houses of the village that have no wall around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They may be redeemed, and they shall be released in the Jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that was sold in a city they possess shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel. But the fields are pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. If your, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as, as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. As for your male and female slaves, whom you shall have, or excuse me, whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from, from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, who have been born in your land, and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit as a possession possession forever. You may make slaves of them. 
But over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one over another ruthlessly. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich, and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the, to the stranger or sojourner with you, or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself to, uh, to him until the year of Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time he was with his owner shall be rated as the time of a hired worker. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionately for his redemption some of his sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to his years of service. He shall treat him as a worker hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus chapter 26. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. I am the Lord your God. Again, let me just say this here. Notice it doesn't say don't erect an image or pillar, period. Okay, because I think it would be kind of silly to say don't erect any kind of pillars or any kind of images or any kind of figured stone. But the idea is here is to bow down to it, okay, to worship it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the, and the, the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and when you and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. That's a beautiful promise, isn't it? And I will remove harmful beasts from, from the land. And the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. So how can this be? Five shall chase a hundred. That's because the five, five men of God, are stronger and more fearsome than a hundred men of the world. And a hundred men of God are stronger and to be feared more than 10,000 men of the world. 
Verse 9. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and make and will confirm my covenant with you. Praise God. That's, that's a great promise. Verse 10. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and be your God, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Can you imagine, just for a second here, imagine to be able to say, say, we are a people, God, God himself walks among us. Verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. Wow. That's the opposite of five will put a hundred to flight or, you know, a hundred will chase 10,000. This is the opposite. You'll be running away when nobody pursues. And if in spite of this, you will not, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze this reminds me of what's going on in canada with trudeau because he's got a lot of pride and uh god is is, is doing something god is doing something verse 20 and your strength shall be spent in vain and your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit then if you walk contrary, if, if you walk contrary to me, to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. Now again, this sevenfold is not literally seven times. This is talking about basically it could be a thousand times. It's a figure of speech. Sevenfold means I, I will I will continue striking you and uh, basically in, uh, until it's done. You know, uh, seven is a number of completion or or perfection or totality. We're all encompassing. Yeah. I will I will continue striking you, all encompassing for your sins. I will not, uh, excuse me, I will let loose the wild beasts against you. See what, see what God does, right? He punishes people by disease, pestilence, plague, 
um, adverse weather, natural disasters, even the wild beasts, even the wild animals. God does whatever he wants to do. And he has many, many ways to do it. Verse 22, And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then, again, let me just stop here for a second. Notice, this is all just the whole reason for this is that God's not doing this just to get some, you know, just to get pleasure out of causing all of this pain and grief for people. He's doing this to cause people to repent. He's doing everything possible to cause people to repent. That's what it's all about. Humbling yourself and repenting, turning from your sin. And that could be, it could be hard to do that because you could be so intricately tied to your sin or you could be identifying with sins or sinful lifestyle, or sinful lifestyle so much that it's very, very difficult to uproot yourself from that. But that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. Or else, God will continue to strike. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And my and myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if, in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters, and I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing, pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies will, who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall destroy or excuse me, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. <sighs> yeah. Verse 35. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, send faintness into, the, into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight 
and they shall flee as one who flees from the sword, and they shall fall when not when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another, as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. But, but, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their of their enemies if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled a lot of people today have an uncircumcised heart very hard stubborn foolish too much pride not humble if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Finally, in Leviticus chapter 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving evaluation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels. 50 shekels. Uh, in the footnotes, a shekel is about two-fifths of an ounce or 11 grams. So the valuation of a male from 20 years old to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from five years old to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male, 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. If the person is from a month old up to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male, five shekels of silver. For a female, uh, for the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be, uh, he shall be made to stand before the priest and the priest shall, shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the, the vower can afford. 
if the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good or good for bad or bad for good. And he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is any un, unclean animal that may not be offered, that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest. And the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to its valuation. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so shall it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the, from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall, be, it shall remain his. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it if he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession. Then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee, and the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall make a shekel. A shekel. A gera is about one-fiftieth of an ounce or 0 0.6 grams. But a, fir but a firstborn of animals, which is, or which as, excuse me, which, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back to the at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast or of his inherited field shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted is, is, uh, who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. 
he shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit, fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy it shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. And that concludes the book of Leviticus. Now, it seems to me like this whole book of, of Leviticus was given on Mount Sinai, the way it, it ends here, the last verse. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. So the whole book of Leviticus, it sounds like, uh, was given on Mount Sinai. Very, very interesting. Vida says shalom. Shalom, Vida. Welcome. Welcome. Vida says, today has been three years since I repented and Yeshua is in our life. Wait for the miracles in our life. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely amazing. Praise God. That's a, you know what? Uh, I'm not sure, Vita, if you heard what we were talking about earlier on, but we were talking about celebrating, you know, what God has uh, did in, in, in your life. And especially like in the, in the sense of like the anniversaries of what God did in your life as well. Like the, if, if you know what day, you know, the Lord did some miracle in your life, that'd be awesome to celebrate that as a, uh, at least remember it as a, as an anniversary of, of, um, of God's working. It's, it's amazing. We actually spoke a lot about that earlier on in this live stream. 1 John 2.26 says, Vida, congratulations. Good for you. Rita says, so happy. Pray for everyone too to be to become believers in Yeshua, Messiah of Nazareth. Yes. Amen. Amen. Appropriate says the fool in his heart says there is no God. Psalm 14. You know, um, one very interesting thing about that passage. Now, I'm not saying this is this is how it should be interpreted. I'm just kind of Putting this out there, if you look at in, uh, you know what? Let's pull that. Let's pull it up. I want to show you guys something. Um, so Psalm fourteen. I want to show you guys something. So, okay. So this is Psalm fourteen to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The fool has said in his heart, "There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good." Okay. So, um. If you notice, there are some words that are in italics. These words here, asam, is in italics. It's slanted. Uh, these words here, there is, is in italics. Okay. These words here, there is, is in italics. What that means is those words are not in the original manuscripts. 
they were added by the interpreters. Okay. So literally, what it says, literally, what this says is the fool has said in his heart, no God. Now, how do you interpret that? You could interpret it how many people do interpret it today. That that, that is to say that, you know, that um, uh, the fool denies the existence of God. Okay. You can, you can say that. But you can also say that the fool just says no to God. Like God commands them to do something and they say no. So very interesting to understand both. There's those both ways of looking at that verse. Pastor Tariq Marshall, long time no see, haven't seen you for a long time, says blessings from Pakistan. Pastor Tariq Marshall, blessings. Good to see you. Welcome. I've been wondering how you've been doing there, Pastor Tariq. How is it going in Pakistan? Haven't heard from you for a while. Just wondering how how you're doing there. Thomas says, Isaiah 66, 17 says, eating the unclean thing is an abomination. Yes, amen. It is what it says. Actually, some very, very serious things it says there in Isaiah chapter 66 about those who eat the abominational or abominable things, I should say. Byron says, I got lost in the bushes once in bear country. I prayed and found raspberries, then found the road back to where I was staying. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, yeah. A lot of people, they end up, uh, you know, that's it for them. You know, if they get lost like that, but praise God, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Especially in bear country. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Um, okay. Okay, then. So that will wrap it up for tonight. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we will be continuing where we left off. I know we finished the book of Leviticus tonight. Um, so we got lots to study, lots and lots to study. And uh, it's, it's, it's been an awesome, um, it's been an awesome night, as always. And uh, so I really appreciate all you guys. As always, you guys are awesome. You are awesome. You are world changers, okay? Keep fighting the faith. Keep fighting the good fight, I should say. Keep fighting the good fight of the faith, I should say. Keep fighting sin. Keep fighting darkness and fight the fight of the Lord. Be a light. Shine in the darkness. And may the Lord bless you as you do. Amen. Amen. You guys are awesome. Okay, so tomorrow, Lord willing, same time, same place. That is 7 p.m. Eastern. For those of you who are in different parts of the world, as we got people like uh, Vinny and Vida who are in several different places around the world. So um, that would be 7 p.m. It's UTC minus 5. UTC minus 5, okay? 7 p.m. Uh, so, yes, we'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow evening. Amen. Appropriate says thanks. Thank you, guys. Again, thank you for all your questions and your comments. You're awesome. Lord willing, we'll have uh, some 
interesting special guests as well. Come on. Um, soon. Vinny says, thank you, Christopher. God bless you all. Shalom. God bless you more. Vinny. 1 John 2.26 says, thank you and blessings to you. Thank you, 1 John 2.26. Blessings multiplied back to you. And um, yeah, so don't, again, I apologize if I missed some of your comments, um, but uh, there is a delay. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit, sometimes it's like 20 seconds. Sometimes it's a little bit more than 20 seconds, 40 seconds. So I apologize if I missed some of your comments. But yes, amen. Stay, stay the, uh, stay the path, stay on the path. Okay, guys, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.